Let's pray together as we continue worship. Father, thank you so much um, for who you are. Lord, we are asking today that we could hear from you. In this time of our need, Lord, we need you. We thank you, Lord, that we are not alone, that you've given us your son, Jesus. You have provided grace for all who believe, that you've given us your Holy Spirit as our present helper and comfort, companion. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your living word, that you are speaking to all who listen today. So, Lord, we pray you meet us now and that you minister to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, This morning, um, I am praying that God will allow our time together to speak to your hearts, especially in the midst of the situation that we're in. Um, I know that our uh, community here in Memphis, um, I know the communities across our country, and I know communities across our world um, are experiencing a really difficult, challenging, um, and unique time, probably unlike any that we have seen in our lifetime. And um, I am praying this morning that God will allow his word and his spirit to speak uh, to you to bring comfort and also to bring hope. I'm going to be continuing our series this morning, Jesus Messiah, and our study of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to get it open to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, whether you're here in this room or whether you're at home. I would love it if all of us would get our Bibles out and if we would engage in the Scripture together. Today we're going to be in, in chapter 21. And the topic of today is welcoming Jesus, reactions to the Messiah. Welcoming Jesus, reactions to the Messiah. Some of you might be wondering, um, Barrett, are you totally like out of the loop? Like we're seriously just marching forward in Matthew in the middle of coronavirus. Okay, we'll just pretend like nothing's going on. I am telling you this morning that I really was prayerful about... um, what it was that God wanted us to be doing together. Um, And I will tell you that um, I really believe that the passage that God already had us in for today is the right passage for us to be in, in the situation that we're in in this present moment. And I really believe that God put a word on my heart from His word uh, to share, to encourage us in the middle of, yes, our study of Matthew, but more than that, just in the middle of this present moment in our lives as believers, in the midst of this coronavirus situation that's affecting us locally and affecting people globally, I really believe that this is the passage for us for today. Um, I want to read the passage together, and so if you've got your Bible, we're going to start in verse 1. For those who are here in this room, nothing will be on the screen today. This is all a test for us and our ability uh, to learn orally. As the disciples of Jesus learned, we're going to be learning today. And so um, I did that so that it's fair for the majority of our church today watching online, uh, that it's fair for both of us uh, to to make sure that we're all hearing the word in the same way. Starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem 
and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Well, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of the beast, of a beast of burden. The disciples went, and they did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no free fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, 
by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two will have did the will of his father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and then went away into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent to his servants, his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, and they beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent more servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. And therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to lease out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the fruits in the season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits, and the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is God's word. 
I want to talk to you this morning about three choices that we can make to welcome Jesus more into our hearts, into our lives, into our homes, into our community. Three choices that we can make to welcome Jesus even more into our hearts and into our lives. I am going to be contextualizing um, this passage and the top line truths of this passage to our current situation. Like I said at the beginning, I know the things that we're all thinking, the changes that most of us have had to, to make, the conversations that are happening in our houses and in our community and our workplaces, um, the conversations that are happening nationally and globally. And I really believe that these choices have relevancy uh, in our lives for this time. And I want to do everything I can do as your pastor to lead you well toward the Lord. Um, but I believe these three choices are very relevant for us today. So if you want an outline of today, um, the, tr- the three choices are as follows, all right? And they're all alliterated for you, and you're welcome. Um, the choices are, I believe that we need to choose to lift praise, number one. To choose to lift praise. Number two, I believe that God is calling us to choose to live in prayer. To choose to live in prayer. And number three, I believe that God is calling us to choose to love people. To choose to love people. So by the end of today, I pray in your hearts would be a sense of calling and a commitment. I will choose to lift praise. I will choose to live in prayer. And I will choose to love people. I want to start by talking about the call for us to choose to lift praise. I get this point from verses 1 through 11 and also through uh, verses 14 to 17. It's really interesting um, In the history of the world um, and in the history of the church, um, history has always seemed to be filled with times like the one that we're facing right now. Times of great challenge. There have been times of great uncertainty. There have been times of crisis again and again and again. And by no means do I want to make light of our current situation. But I just want to tell you that this situation is not new in the world, and this situation is not new in the lives of believers. I know that this situation we're not very accustomed to here in America. I know that um, this is a time like unlike any we've ever seen in our generation, but I just want to remind you and set things in context that God knows, even in John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you will have many troubles. There are times in this world that we live in, in this broken and fallen world that we live in, that we experience times of difficulty, times of crisis, times of uncertainty, and times of trouble. And honestly, it helps us in some ways. All the things that we're thinking and the things that we're feeling right now in the situation that we have with the coronavirus, it does help us in some ways to understand the Bible in some, in some ways that maybe we wouldn't without this experience. 
Uh, understand some of the messages of the prophets who speak to people in the midst of fear and of chaos and any moment the enemy could come and overwhelm us or oppress us. Could understand uh, some of the words of the Old Testament or New Testament that speak right to people's hearts in the times of hysteria or anxiety. Um, And like I said, I I don't want to make light of this current situation, but I do want to help us understand that this is, God's Word is incredibly helpful for us because God helps us to know that in these times of trouble, what are we to do? As the scene opens in Matthew 21, all right, what do you have if you think about the context of the situation? The Israelites are frustrated with their situation. They, they feel oppressed. They want deliverance. They're crying out for, for God to act powerfully on their behalf. Some of them see the grand picture. That In their hearts, we know some of them are seeing the grand picture of the eternal purposes of God. And in their hearts, they're crying out to, to Jesus for those deeper heart things for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, for hope, uh, for, for God's mercy in their lives, deliverance spiritually. As they cry out, Hosanna, uh, if you got your Bible, you can flip over to Luke uh, chapter 19, one of the other accounts of the uh, Palm Sunday account, because as Jesus comes in, uh, just this past year, I had the opportunity to walk this, this, what they call the Palm Sunday Road in Jerusalem. And from the Mount of Olives, uh, you're, you're looking straight toward the place, uh, the, the Temple Mount, uh, that place of continual s- sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And you know Jesus has set his face, even as he's entering down this road, he's, he's set his face toward what he's come to do, and that is to seek and to save the lost, to give his life for the forgiveness of you and for me. Um, we know that's why he's there. And Luke 19 helps us to, to know that others, uh, some of the others in the crowd know why he's there. In verses 37 through 40 specifically, it says that as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. So these are his disciples. They're rejoicing and they're praising God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So we know that many in the crowd really understand who Jesus is. And they understand what he's come to do. He's come to put us right with God. He's come to bring salvation, forgiveness, deliverance, right relationship with God forevermore. And they're lifting their voices. Hosanna! Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for why you've come. We also know that there are many in the crowd who just feel troubled by the circumstances that they're facing temporally, the situations that they're in. There are many in the crowd who kind of like the way we feel about coronavirus, they are just like, um, anyone please help me. I don't have toilet paper. I am fearful that I'm going to come in contact with somebody that's got the disease. And they're just, they're crying out. They're fearful. They need their circumstance and situation to change. And they're looking to Jesus. But, but regardless, as Jesus comes in, 
He, he welcomes praise. He's glad that people's attention is directed toward him and that in their hearts, they're, they're lifting up voices of praise for who he is, for what he has come to do. They're recognizing his ability. They're recognizing his strength. They're recognizing, some of them, his goodness and his grace. Some of them have their mind set on what he said over and over and over. We remember in the Gospel of Matthew, he's been saying to his disciples, I have come to lay down my life. I have come for the forgiveness of your sins. He's glad that people are welcoming him with praise. And in fact, over in Luke 19, where we just were, if you go back to that passage with your thumb in Matthew 21, what we see there is in verses 39 and 40, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, stop them from praising you. And what does Jesus say? He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I always had thought of this as the very rocks, like we think about by the Mississippi River, like rocks will start to praise. And we know that the creation is shouting the glory of God. The heavens are proclaiming his handiwork. We know creation is praising God. But when I went to Israel last April, for the first time I connected something that I'd never connected before. And that is on the Palm Sunday road, as you're going down out of the Mount of Olives and you're looking toward Jerusalem, the very road that Jesus traveled, that entire hillside that he is traveling down, to the left of the road is a cemetery. And it's every single grave, it's an ancient cemetery, one of the oldest in the world, and one, every single grave is marked by a stone. And what he's saying is all of creation, and yes, those who, who now have ended this life and, and recognize more the, the true purpose of God in the world, they will cry out, yes, you are made for praise. You are made to set your mind and your heart's attention upon God and to lift your heart in, in praise. Jesus is deserving of our praise. Uh, what is Praise. It's recognizing God's character, recognizing his attributes, and then in response, just giving him adoration. Just saying, God, we love you. God, we glorify you. God, you are the best for who you are and for what you have done and what you have promised to do. We love you and we praise you. We welcome you with our praise. Um, Praising God, just so y'all know, is the most frequent command in all of Scripture. There is no greater frequency of any command in the Bible than the command to, to lift your heart and to lift even your voice in praise, in praise to God. It's quoted in a lot of different ways. Uh, praise the Lord. We see over and over in the Psalms, like in Psalm 149, sing to the Lord a new song. In the assembly of the faithful, sing to God. Psalm 150, for instance, like 13 times in the first six verses, it says, praise the Lord. Just praise, praise, praise for who he is and for what he has done. Praise, praise, praise. We see commands in the Bible not to be afraid. This is, again, a command to, to praise, to get our attention off of the things that make us fearful, coronavirus, and to put our attention on God 
You want to welcome Jesus into your life right now into this time? You, you want to experience more of his presence, more of, of his comfort? Learn this. Learn how to, to dedicate more time to just praising him for who he is and, and for what he's done. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 um, says this, if you have been raised with Christ, if you're truly in Christ, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. Direct your mind and your heart toward Christ and praise. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A lot of us are familiar with this verse. But he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. This is what I think Jesus is talking about when he says, the very stones will cry out. Those who have gone before us were surrounded by those who have learned this by their own testimony. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us... Lay aside every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance a race marked before us doing what? Looking to Jesus. The Bible's instruction is to, to, to fear not. Let's focus less on the coronavirus and let's focus more on Jesus. Let's set our minds toward him who loves us and who gave himself for us, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he has endured the cross, he has despised the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of God. Focus not on what the coronavirus could do, but focus on what Jesus has done and what he will do for all who trust in him. Focus on Jesus. As Dustin Benge said, I was reading this week, he says, Satan may seem more powerful. Darkness may seem thicker. Evil may seem to be growing. Everyone may seem to be in trouble, but never fear. The forces of evil are breathing their last breath. Christ is risen, and Christ is rejoicing. Praise the Lord. Do not be afraid. Other commands in the Bible say rejoice. Rejoice. What does that mean? means in your heart, choose joy. Choose joy in God. It's an action that we take to, in our hearts, set our happiness upon the Lord and to set our hopes upon the Lord, to base our joy not in the present circumstance, but in the character of our good and great Savior. Do you see? Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. This is another one that I think about when we think about rejoicing and giving thanks. Paul says to the church of Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. In other words, don't freak out. Stay steady in the joy that we have in Christ do not be anxious about anything, whether it's coronavirus or anything else, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, our command of focus and to praise, right? Let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus. 
Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, who is worthy of praise? We know who is, Jesus. Think about these things. In other words, there, I'm, I'm telling you, church, I believe here in the Scriptures, God is just helping us to see how it is that we can welcome Jesus into our lives. Number one, we can welcome Jesus into our lives by choosing praise, by choosing praise. John Owen, um, some of you know John Owen in church history. He knew much about disease. He knew much about sickness. He lost 10 of his 11 children to death by disease. And yet, In his writings, we find him writing, this is a quote, to those to whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. He is our hope of future glory, but he is also our life of present grace. This is what Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, my life is Christ. My attention will be upon him. I will choose praise, like the song says. Y'all don't want me to sing, but I'll do it anyway. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. Did I do okay? Um, (laughs) Those online may not agree. But anyway, um, the point is that we will choose praise. We will bring praise. Here's, here's my challenge to our church in this next week, two weeks, however long the coronavirus lasts. Here's my challenge. I am asking us and I'm calling us as a church to take a one-hour praise challenge every day. What I mean by this is I would like for us to take one hour a day. Some of us might already be doing this. For many of us, we may not be. And to turn off the phone, to put it on airplane mode, to turn off the news, turn off the endless chatter, to turn off conversations with others, to turn off endless email notifications from every company you've ever done business with in the world telling you how they will respond to (laughs) COVID-19. To turn it off, And then for one hour a day, as long as this crisis lasts, for us to choose praise. What does it look like? It looks like turning up the volume on worship music and letting the character and the promises of God be sung over you. It looks like spending time in Scripture. It looks like, for my family, getting around the piano. I play, barely. And singing little songs, perhaps, to to God with Caroline and Michelle. It looks like doing what we can do to continue to set our minds in our own way for us to lay our cloaks down, for us to to wave our palm branches, for us to lift our voice and shout Hosanna and to choose to set our hearts and minds on the character and the hope of Jesus Christ. I'm asking, I really believe that we can experience more of Jesus if, number one, we choose praise. My encouragement, you can write down these scriptures. Here's some scriptures you can use. Here's here's how you could choose praise in these times. Just open a scripture, verse by verse, these praise scriptures. Just read a verse and then turn it into a way to praise God. So if it tells you something about God, then just say, God, I want to thank you that you are. God, I want to thank you that you have done. I want to thank you that you have promised. And we just choose praise. Here are the verses. Psalm 23 
Psalm 46, Psalm 91, Psalm 107, Psalm 112, Isaiah 25 and 26, Matthew 14, 22 to 26, to 36, excuse me, Mark 4, 35 to 41, Romans chapter 8, yes, the whole thing gets glorious, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, you can do 3 through 7, whatever you choose, 1 Peter 5, 7, Revelation 21, 22, my encouragement for us as a church is number one, based on what we see, how Jesus says, don't rebuke those who choose praise. Don't you know, out of the infants will even come praise. If you don't praise, even the stones will cry out. Church, number one, I would like for us to say together, if you're online or if you're here in the room, I would like for us to say, I will choose praise. Ready? One, two, three. I will choose praise. I will choose praise. Number two, I believe that God is calling us not only to choose praise, but number two, to choose prayer. To choose prayer. I will choose prayer. What we see in verses 12 and 13, and also in verses 18 to 22, is as Jesus entered the temple, as he gets to Jerusalem, I have it in my mind as I was just there, there are these large courts that were used for people changing money in order to buy the appropriate sacrifices for the temple. But what had happened was, this had been abused, these systems had been abused, and there were people set up in the temple that were literally not there with a heart to help worshipers truly worship God. They were there to, to put more money into their own pockets. The people of God, the leaders of God, the church of God had become something that was very far from God's heart. It was very far from God's desires, very far from God's will. And as Jesus walks into the temple, we see there, in verse 12, he begins to drive out all who sold and who bought in the temple. He begins turning over tables. This is not a picture we like to think of Jesus. Jesus gets angry. And he's turning over tables and, and, and the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who are selling pigeons. And what does he say there in verse 13? He says to them, what is truly God's heart and what is truly God's desire is what it is written my house shall be called a what? A house of entertainment, a house of many programs, a house known for great children's activities, a house that's known for their awesome building in the middle of downtown, a house of what? Prayer. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is calling his people back. He's calling his people back to prayer. What is prayer? We've talked about this so much. I've desired to disciple you in this so much. Prayer is not an activity that we do right before we eat or right before we go to bed. Prayer is a posture of our hearts Prayer, we describe it as desperate dependence. It's the only way to understand it. If you want to obey 1 Thessalonians, that says, pray without ceasing. It has to be more than activity. It's a, it's a posture of our hearts. 
where we're constantly desperate and depending upon God, where we're constantly recognizing Him. And we talk about these three things, abiding in His presence, longing for His power, and depending on His promises. What is Jesus teaching? Jesus is teaching us that our highest priority, the highest priority for you as a believer and the highest priority for us as the people of God is to seek His presence. And secondly, to seek His help. You can write those two things down, seeking His presence and seeking His help. Seeking His presence and seeking His help. There are so many things that we could choose to engage in, and there are many things that are good, but they're not the most important. The most important thing in our lives is to learn to be desperate and dependent upon God, to learn to constantly seek His presence and to seek His help. I love that Jesus goes on, and after He does the miracle on the fig tree, And the disciples marvel, going, how is this possible? How are these impossible things possible? Jesus answers them in verse 21, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only be able to do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken and thrown into the sea, it will happen. For whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus is is desiring to posture us to seek his presence and to seek to seek his help. Now, I know that Jesus is not coming in here today disrupting our worship service, but COVID-19 sure seems to be. Um, it's definitely disrupted our normal way of doing things. Um, everything from things like trying to find the right groceries to eat trying to find toilet paper. I heard somewhere they're selling Hello Kitty toilet paper now that we're that desperate. I don't know if that's true, but that sounds interesting. Um, that's funny in ways, but there's more serious things too. Disrupting things like us being all together, physically present in the church in this season, or disrupting our sense of safety in public. For my family, and many of you have older people that you love, disrupting even our ability to see and to be in the same room with some of these precious people in our family. For Michelle and me, disrupting our sense of security with us about to have a new little girl, birthing a new little girl into the world, thinking about the possibility of a new disease. What will will it be like in a few weeks when little girl comes? It sure seems like coronavirus is disrupting our normal routines. Would you agree? It seems to be creating... Like, what? And I've got to be careful here, careful here, because I'm not saying that Jesus is bringing this virus onto us. But what I am saying is that often when our normal routines get disrupted, our attention gets more focused upon God. We begin to seek Him in more earnest, sincere, desperate ways than we perhaps would seek him when we feel safe and secure in other things. In this moment of disruption, God seems to be rattling us to the point where we are being forced, being forced by circumstance to seek his presence more 
and to seek him more in prayer, to seek his help more. We're being forced to depend upon God alone. Our false securities are gone. Even us in America, we think that we're rich enough, that we're smart enough, that we're safe enough. And our, and our securities are gone, and we're freaking out in ways. And it's in this time that I believe that we have an opportunity to learn to seek his presence and to seek his help in prayer. And what I do know is that Jesus wants this for us as God's people. He wants this for us as a church to come back to the place of just simple desperation and dependence upon him. He wants us to be weaned off of the things that we look to other than him and to be forced to look to him alone. This is why the Bible, some of us are beginning to understand this maybe for the first time. Passages like Romans 5. Some of us have never had anxiety or suffering, but this is exactly why God gives us his word. Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our suffering. What a weird thing to say. That we rejoice in times of anxiety or we rejoice in times of uncertainty. We rejoice in the instability. We rejoice in the disruption to our routine. What? Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. In other words, our sufferings drive us to God. And hope does not disappoint. God does not disappoint when you learn to seek his presence and to seek his help. He does not disappoint. He doesn't, friends, because his love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So friends, in this time of the coronavirus, I'm just asking, would you seek his presence like never before? Would you ask God to revive your hearts in ways that you've been holding on to false securities, would you just say, oh God, would you be my dependence now and forevermore? Would you revive my heart? Would you revive our community? Would you revive our city? Would you revive our nation? Would you revive our world? And then would you just, would you seek his power? Would you learn? I said this in the video earlier this week, but I really mean it. Before you talk to other people about the coronavirus, have you talked to God? Before you go look in that news media, have you gone to look at his word? Before you spend time watching endless cable news, they're going to say the same thing. It's bad. Check it once a day and be done. Before you spend endless time watching the news, how about spending endless time seeking his face in prayer? Before we gripe about this leader or that leader or hoping this leader or that leader, how about we just hope in God? How about, I mean, I, I do want to pray for our leaders, and I want to pray for our researchers. I know God's answer will likely come through the work of leadership and the work of scientists and researchers. Praise God for them. But ultimately, our hope is not in science. Our hope is in God. Do we recognize this, and, and are we willing to seek him and to ask him for mercy and deliverance and help? Are we willing to be desperate for him? This is God's invitation Choose not only to lift your praise, but choose to live in prayer. Our government leaders and our religious leaders across the country have called today a national day of prayer. And as soon as my message is over, um, we're going to be spending some time in prayer, seeking his presence and seeking his help. But there's some specific things that have been asked for us to pray for. One is God's mercy 
This is something you could pray every day. God's mercy to stop this pandemic and to save lives. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Especially, guys, we have to be globally minded. We, yes, have concerns here in Memphis. I am not making light of those, but you want to talk about real anxiety. Thinking about the coronavirus in places like where we work in West Africa or in the middle of India where they're going to, they're so densely populated and do not have the healthcare near to the capacity that we have. Yes, we have shortages, but there are other places that will be far worse than we are. Let's pray daily for God's mercy, for him to stop the pandemic and for lives to be saved. Number two, we can pray for our government leaders. We can pray for our city, for our state, for our federal, for our global leadership, and we can ask them, as God has told us, we can ask God for, for, for wisdom for them. We can ask God for them to know the best courses of actions to take for prevention and for care, Romans 13, 1 to 4. We can pray for scientists and researchers here at St. Jude and at UT and across our country. Let's pray together for leadership, and let's ask that God would give them supernatural power and wisdom and abilities to, to know what to do and how to do it so that we can get a cure and lead well to stop this disease. Let's, let's pray for them. Do you know that God can do things in Donald Trump's mind and heart, even though he doesn't understand what he's doing? Do you know that God can do things in our governor's mind and heart, and our mayor's mind and heart? I'm not picking on anybody. This is not about politics. I'm just saying that God's word says that we ought to pray for our leaders. And I'm wondering, do you have a desire and a commitment to, to, before you talk about them, to pray for them. Third, we can pray for God to teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. We can pray, God, would you bring us wisdom in this moment of fear? Would you bring awareness to all that life is fragile, eternity is real, and that people need you, God? We can pray like that. And fourth, we can pray for protection over those on the front lines. I know many of you work in the healthcare industry, many in our church, many who are watching at home right now. We know that there are many people who are working in healthcare, fighting day to day. We know that there are many who are uh, missionaries in our world today, people who are on the front lines here in our community, but also around the world. And we can pray for them and pray for the gospel's advancement through them. Mark chapter 6, verse 15. We can pray these things. And so we're going to be praying as soon as this message is over together, um, along with believers across our world, seeking God's presence, but also seeking God's help. If you could repeat after me, we've already said, I will, I will choose to live in praise, and now I'd like for us to just say together, I will choose to live in prayer. One, two, three. I will choose to live in prayer. Last but not least, number three, I will choose to love people. The third choice I believe God is calling us to make as we close this morning is a choice to love people. In verses 23 to 46, and I, this morning, am not going to do a full exegetical discourse about the end of this chapter, but it is obvious 
at the end of this chapter, that as Jesus enters into the people, he's met by people who are skeptical. He's met by people who don't believe. He's met by people who are questioning who he is and his authority. He's met by people who have concerns, who have rejected him. Jesus says outright, you've seen what I've come to do, and yet you've rejected me. You've seen my grace. You've heard my message. You know why I've come, and yet you have turned your heart against me. And yet he loves them. One of the verses that is most staggering to me is Romans 5, 8. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for his enemies. In his love, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give himself humbly, with a servant's heart, with great sacrifice to himself to save the very people who oppose him. Some of these very people I truly believe at Pentecost are the ones that Peter is preaching to in Acts 2 when he stands up and he's proclaiming what Jesus has done and what he can do for all who repent and believe, and he's calling out the people who put him to death but saying, but look, even though you put him to death, God has exalted him, and he is the Savior. You can repent and believe. The very people who at one time had come against him, Jesus gave his life so that by believing, they could come to life in him. It's amazing. It's amazing love. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would, would die for me? And I think for us to follow the way of Jesus, we have to choose to love people. Here's what it looks like very quickly. Number one, it looks like we've got to be aware. It looks like we've got to be aware that there are people. There are people right now in the midst of this coronavirus who are far from God. In their life, they may have been critical of God. They may have been rebellious against him. They, they may have not believed that they need him. Their hearts may have been closed toward him. But I want to tell you, that it is a time for us to be aware that these people are out there and that in this time of coronavirus, it could be the very time that God is shaking them to the point that they are open, maybe for the first time ever or for the first time in a long time, that they would be open to actually hear and receive. Charles Spurgeon says this, if there was ever a time when the mind is sensitive, it is when death is abroad. He says, I recollect when I first came to London how anxiously people listened to the gospel for the cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then. What he's saying is, are we aware as the people of God that as people begin to think about death, as people begin to be rattled, even in Spurgeon's time with the disease that was plaguing London, he said people began to be more open to the things of God. Number one, are we aware? Number two, are we willing to engage? To engage them as Jesus engaged even his enemies. There's two ways I think we can engage. Number one is in loving service. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 20, the chapter we looked at last week? What did Jesus teach us? How did he teach us to lead? He taught us to lead by becoming a servant 
by washing people's feet, the dirtiest part of their body at this time, (laughs) Jesus says, you stoop and serve. The greatest among you will be the one who serves. How is it that we can serve? Well, a lot of talk right now about washing hands. A lot of talk. Not a lot of talk about washing feet. What I want to know is, as a church, as we, every time we wash our hands, I want you to think about who are the people in your lives that you can wash their feet? How is it that we can lovingly serve in this time? That we not live in fear, but we live in hope. A.W. Tozer said once, a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. Yes, wash your hands, but also, as someone said this week, wash feet. Look for ways to lovingly serve. And second way to engage is to speak the truth. As Romans 1, 16, 17 tells us, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, let's not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus, for it is the power of God to save for all who believe. As J.C. Ryle once said, he said, if sickness in a wicked world can help to make men think of God and their souls, then sickness confers benefits on mankind. In other words, if, if this moment brings opportunity to actually talk to people in real ways about the hope that we have and how it is that we can be faith, filled with faith and not fear, then engage. Not only lovingly serve people, but go there in your conversations. Engage them with the truth. The third and final way that I believe that we can follow the way of Jesus, number one is be aware Number two is to engage, but number three is to live sacrificially. Jesus gave his life for his enemies. I've already quoted Romans 5, 8. And I just know that there are many of us who are going to feel the need to shrink back in fear, but I believe that we as a church are called to step forward in faith. And there are many of us, perhaps, especially those who are in the healthcare industry. It's going to be hard for you to go in day in and day out. But I want you to remember Dionysius in 260 AD said this, talking about the Christians of the time. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departing this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, but cheerfully accepting their pains. I am by no means saying go out and get the coronavirus. But what I am saying is that, friends, there are some things more important than our health. The eternity of souls, especially of those who have not yet known and heard of Christ, is more important than our physical protection. And I don't want us to shrink back in fear. Whatever God calls us to do in whatever it is capacity that we are leading from and influencing from, but I want us to step forward with faith. And I want us to remember the perspective of history and the call of God upon the church. We are to be bold in our witness for Jesus, following the example of Jesus who gave his own life for us in love, even if it demands it, we can give our lives for others. Amen? So, consider as you're spending time with God this week how you can choose to love people.
people. Pray for people, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, those who do not know Christ. Pray for them and pray that God might use you in their lives in this time. Let's say together, I will choose to love people. Ready? One, two, three. I will choose to love people. As we close this morning and our worship team comes, I want to invite us into a time of prayer. We've talked about God's call on our lives in these three ways. Number one, he has called us to choose to lift praise. Number two, he's called us to live in prayer. And number three, he's called us to love people. So right now, whether you're at home in your living room by yourself with some friends or your family, if you're here in this building, I would like for us to spend this next bit in prayer. You could take some of those psalms. I'm not going to be asking us uh, here in the building to get in groups because of our uh, etiquette and social distancing, but I am going to be asking if you're at home and you feel comfortable getting together, please do that. Please do not tune out because we're going to conclude our worship in just a bit after this time of prayer. But I want every person where you are to, to spend some time praising and to spend some time praying and to spend some time uh, bringing others who you know and love, uh, who need help and need help in this time, just bringing them before the Lord. So let's just, just go to the Lord together, along with believers across our country and world. Let's go to the Lord together and seek his presence and to seek his help.